I, not he, not I, and territories of folding, and the co-editor of Troubling the Line, Trans and Gender Queer Poetry and Poetics. TC's work can also be found in a number of journals, including Volt, The Volta, The Pinch, and Drunken Boat, among others. Bridge building is not only a metaphor within TC's poetics, but a practice within his life. TC is the creator and director of Made for Flight, an organization for youth where participants build kites to commemorate the lives of transgender people who have been murdered. TC is also a leader in Outward Bound and teaches composition at the University of Arizona and at the Low Residency MFA program at OSU Cascades. Please welcome TC Tolbert. so much for being here. Um, this is incredible. Thank you, Anna Joy, for inviting me. I feel so honored to... I was in the um, shuttle, shuttle van in the airport, and I was in this van with five other... five real estate brokers, and I know that because they were all bonding over this, <laughs> and I felt... So thankful for my life. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am a poet. Yes, this is awesome. No idea what the hell they're talking about. Um, so I'm just going to um, launch right in. Um, and I'd also, before I do that, just like to give a trigger warning. Um, this, will, this will deal with violence, um, violence against trans people in particular. Um, I am um, transgender and think quite a bit about this. When I speak of bodies torn from themselves, I'm speaking of bodies with lungs. I'm speaking of women's bodies. I'm speaking of women who are not always women. I'm speaking of women who were born into bodies they did not know themselves in. I'm speaking of bodies made. I'm speaking of bodies with nails with extensions and with tongues. When I speak of women who are not always women, I'm speaking of bodies found. When I speak of bodies torn from themselves, I'm trying not to speak of the 1,138 bodies like them. Bodies enough to line the road from South Tucson to North Tucson. Bodies that if we lined them up on the road from South Tucson to North Tucson and laid them side by side, we could have created for ourselves a veritable red carpet, a red carpet of bodies torn from themselves we could walk on without fear of twisting our tender ankles. But there are too many bodies torn from themselves to hold my speaking, too many carpets laid down for us. I'm not speaking of these bodies, for there are too many women, not always women, to comprehend. So that when I speak of the bodies torn from themselves, I'm speaking of the thousands of bodies torn from themselves because there are thousands I can speak of, but I cannot speak of them, and so now I'm speaking only of one. When I speak of women, not always women, I'm speaking of women who once had mothers. I speak of a toothache warning. I speak of a body before sweat glands have developed. 
I speak of a body before it is inhabited by dreams. It is a necessary fallibility, it is comfort. When I speak of necessity, I speak of comfort, I speak of speaking. I speak of saying her name so that she may hear it, even though I know the fact is, she will not hear it. I speak of speaking for my own sake. I speak of my own comfort. I speak of the body she has been torn away from, and I make her a new body. I imagine that by speaking, I make her a new body. I speak her name, and I speak her name, but she has been torn away from herself. I speak now to buffer myself from my own imagination. I speak of Brenda, but I speak now of no one. I speak, and I speak only words. 134 reported murders. Unknown name, 33 years. January 5th, shot, Brazil. Patricia Murphy, 39. Who has never been holy won't shot, be. Albuquerque. Won't let it in. Stacy Brown. What has died has been familiar and January would be born. Shot, Where before I knew you, nothing came Rainbow and could be. Mercy, Come, face of my face, flesh of shot, my flesh. Brazil. What it was came Victor into Manuel. my hands. So little comes, and so told back the body where it was. We who listen to holes pull ourselves down inside holes. Who cannot come and call down holes, pull down what we pour into us. Holy, holy, what cannot be ever in the hands pulling, pouring what was I knew of you into the hands I was. A body to be held and holy, singing of nothing comes. A body, what is whole? Born holes, all of us, pulling into what was poured when whole. Whole. I knew you. What cannot be punctured, cannot be born, what it was. It always begins this way. To try to solidify one thing by wandering around in the field. To gather sticks. Trees are necessary. The field would be more accurately called a yard, but yard implies boundaries, a fence. To place the sticks in any sort of geometrical configuration, to determine proximity simply by defining place, one need not have an understanding of physics, architecture, or strength. One can simply pile the sticks. It would be ideal for them to be about the same length. As is often the case, girth is relevant only in relation to length. One could always break the sticks. There is nothing that says one has to use the sticks exactly as they are found. One could be methodical or not, careful or less so. It doesn't matter. The field is ubiquitous. It's closer than one might think. Have you ever held a bundle of dry spaghetti and held it over a boiling pot of water with both There's a certain satisfaction there. To break a singular thing that is also plural. To think one knows but not really what will happen next. Inevitably, a little mess is Individual pieces slip through, break unevenly, stab the One cannot help but think of the pressure required although vertically, to snap a team neck. Pressure is the wrong word. The word one wants is tension, pulling force, a subtler mess. This is not the same as, say, 
dropping a glass jar, either intentionally or otherwise, from a counter height of, say, three or four feet, no more than four inches, onto a All that sauce everywhere. The dog must be called. She's deaf, but call her anyway. Here, dog, look what we gave you on the floor. No one can love. No one saw, but I'll keep filling the bags. To let what we fall from be what is falling. To let go the grace the body asked to hold what it was. Tortured and stabbed, Brazil. Veronica, <coughs> February. Stabbed 17 times. When a woman comes, yeah. may a woman come and may we know her. February. May we know her by her desire, by her desire to be a woman. May we know her. May we know her by the parts of her body, the parts of her body that say woman. May she have parts that say woman. May there be women who do not deceive us. May there be women who are not deceived. May we be women who are visible. May we show ourselves. May we be women. May we see ourselves. May we be visible. May we have ears. May we know them. May we know them. And may they see us. May there be women who do not show themselves. May they call themselves women. May there be women who call themselves women. May there be allegiance. May there be enemy. May they be visible. May we see them. May there be women who call themselves women. May they see them. May there be women who call themselves men, and may they see us. May we know them, and may we know them, and may they not kill us. And may we not thank them. May they be us. May they not thank us. May we not kill them. May they not kill them. May they call themselves women. May they not kill themselves. May they be thankful. And may they not kill us. May we not call them killers. May they not be killers. May they not be killed. May they not be killed. May they be May our eyes not fail us sometimes. May they be diligent. May they not blur the outlines. May there be outlines. Lines that tell us where the diligent is. May our eyes be diligent. Tell us what is out. Who is out. Who is in. May our eyes tell us who is out and may they come in. May we know them. May we see them. May we see them. May we welcome them. May there be inside, and may we be inside, and may the inside be visible to what is out, visible to what is in. May it reveal us, may it conceal us, and may we be in. We do not say we, we say burden. May the hands not know any burdens, may the hands not know any hands, the hands know so many burdens, the hands that we do not yet know. May these hands not always be men's hands. May these hands not always be my hands. May these hands not always be burdens. May they be my hands. May they freeze me. May they not touch me. May they scald me. May they open me. May they touch me. May they open you. May they not own me. May they not touch you. Men's hands are always touching you. May you not touch me. May you touch me. May you touch me in places I cannot yet see. May there be a self, and may it be woman, and may she be plenty. May she show herself, but if she loosens, Hold that face down, boy. It don't know. That face got a mouth prettier than a mouth should be. A thousand miles away from the Lord now, the night clouds have nothing but tinfoil on a turkey. Hold my keys, boy. I'm hungry. I need this. 
What do you get when you cut a training administration? And the do not practice it. What's the worst part about gambling? Pakistan with two Wait, under the do not fixate on the Do not look at yourself. Mirror neurons invite us to feel empathy for other human beings and often encourage us to smile when someone else is smiling. The idea is that this prevents us from hurting further those who have already been touched. Ferdinand Armbach visited New Zealand from Hungary. In 2007, the 32-year-old went to a bar and met 69-year-old Ronald James Brown. We can never take it personally. I let a person strangle me once during sex, not because I like it, I don't, but because on the other side of the wall is a bench. Some days, it's easy to feel like it. On the way back to Brown's apartment, Brown confessed to playing the banjo. Ambach, a diving instructor, understood the importance Scientists used to believe it was the ability to use tools that separated us from other animals. Now, the difference is fourfold. Surface tension allows objects heavier than water, such as spiders and paper clips, to distribute their weight and therefore feel supported by something that will ever happen. Gay panic is still illegal in Ambach beat Brown to a red instrument. In the average human body, there are approximately 12 pounds of blood. The theory of creative de destruction posits that even widespread societal gain always produces losses for some. When it was sufficiently broken, Ambach shoved the neck of the banjo down the old man's throat. Access is a practical concern. Oxygen is only one kind of touch. Here is a walk without a gold. A body broken by itself becomes two bodies. If there is one body, let the body be broken. Let all bodies be broken. All bodies be bodies, bodies who will be broken, broken by bodies that do not as bodies What a body is, a body will break. A broken body cannot know a body never broken, cannot know a body that has not yet broken. To love a body is to break a body. A body broken is a body loved. Love will be a broken body, broken by a body that is God. God, let the bodies be loved. That God lets bodies be loved, lets bodies be broken, and so let me sing of what is broken by God. Let me sing of God, a broken God, a God to sing into the body, a God to sing into what is broken. Let me sing of a God, a God sung into bodies broken, and God sent singing into stone. There have been stones, God, stones sung into bodies, bodies broken by stones. They were your stones. A body become a God. A body comes singing no more a body than a God. Let the stones sing of the body when they break. Let God sing of the body. The body God sings into stone. Sing of stones, sing of stones, sing of stones. 
how the body sings and sings, how the body sings of the body, and everything that sings, sings of the body, sings of God, sings and sings and becomes stone. If I were you, God, if I May the stones sing themselves silent. Stones up to stones into bodies they sung into. Bodies buried up to their waists and dirt will sing with stones. Bodies buried up to their chests. What God did they hear singing in their stones? What God is buried with them? What God buries his body? The body he sang into. Will they hear the singing? The singing, oh God himself, becomes stone. It is not enough, God. Not enough God to be here singing. Not enough God to become stone. Here is a want without a goal. Strangled with an electrical cord. Shocked. If you are beautiful, O oh God, if there is beauty, you would come into a body and stab in the chest 17 times, and we would know you. Shocked. We would know you would never be God. God would never be God in a body raped and burned and found next to the luggage, beheaded. Bodies are not beautiful, God. Shot and dumped a mile away from the body. Do you know this God to your body, raped in the night? This is what bodies will do. What bodies will do is what is beautiful, God, and you are beautiful, God. How we see you is what becomes beautiful. A maple skinned of its bark, thinned from itself, not splintered. Which body becomes bodies to play with. We play with bodies like this. We chase them, call them shagged. We back them against each other, touching you, sometimes play. Play is just play when it's beautiful. The feel of a body we can touch each other through. What happens when the bat becomes weird? Are there bodies in which the bat becomes beautiful? Are you playing at being pretty, God? Who will be touched will be beautiful. Wood underneath its own skin is still wood. Would you become my own skin, God? Come underneath the skin I made when this body became mine. When this body became my own, God, the skin I became became my own. And underneath this skin is my body, God. The skin I will skin to become mine. How I will become a skin, God. A skin underneath the body, and the body the skin becomes. The body and the skin will become mine. God of the body become mine. What you will become, mine underneath me, God. The body, the skin underneath you, God, is the body. The God you skin will become the body you underneath me, God, and you are mine. Skin the skin underneath my body, God, and send me broken, singing of a God who never sings, singing of a God who never hungers, singing of a God who never dies. Who will sing the body, God? Who will be broken or what they will sing? Let the body, let God break the body. Let the body that is singing let God sing. Let the body be broken into hunger. Feed it what will always be singing. Feed it what will always be broken. Feed it what will always be broken. Oh God, let God be broken. Let God break God and let it sing. Broken by God. Let God break God and let it die.
have to do an intro. I have to do another intro. Oh, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Can we applaud for you? <laughs>
In the presence of community members, mentioning the allowance of toys and props I had accumulated in my father's house was forbidden. No mention of the makeup and wigs cluttering my toy box and sundresses and heels just one room over in my sister's closet where I played Normal City Girl, a serialized performance piece inspired by Marlo Thomas and the TV show That Girl. Mastering the mixed message, my parents forced us to give up our favorite rock group, KISS, for Lent. All the Christian organizations were focusing on the evils of KISS, claiming the name was an anagram for kids in Satan's service, <laughs> and warning parents about the backward masking on the records. From a book titled, Backward Masking, Unmasked, my mother learned that all rock groups, even Captain McNeil, were Satanists. So we gave up Satan for Lent. <laughs> we did it too. We gave up Kiss. Driving in the car, my oldest sister would change the station when Rocket Ride came on the radio. We would plead from the back seat to cheat and listen to the new Kiss song, just the one song, but my sister was a rock. Now that she had her license, it was her responsibility to protect my father's car from accidents, spill drinks, and Satan. <laughs> She wouldn't have listened to it even if she was alone. She was a Peter Chris fan on the mellow, low end of the Kiss fanaticism scale. I was rabid for Kiss, especially Ace Freely with his toxic silver makeup and shoes I would have killed a nun for. <laughs> My other sister claimed Gene Simmons as her favorite poser. <laughs> Though I loved Ace in his total look, I was in love with the Hirsute Paul Stanley, something I was crystal clear with. All through Lent, I was a kid without Kiss, forcing me to find other costumes. No pointy makeup, no heels, nothing, no kiss. It was an eternity. When the Satan-free Lenten season ended on Easter Sunday, each of our baskets held not only a candy, but a copy of the record albums, Hotter Than Hell, Rock and Roll Over, and the much-awaited Kiss Alive too. My parents were good people, brainwashed, but good. They wanted us to have fun, and we did. There was always love, not the constant tension floating in the air down the street at the compound. My father saw the unhappiness the cult caused, and even though the cult didn't pay his mortgage, he tried to make light of it, always entertaining the kids. He went along with my mother's religious whims often, attending giant charismatic Christian conferences at the Providence Civic Center, as if being dragged to church every Sunday wasn't bad enough. When theology crimps my free time, you can keep it. So they go through several charismatic cult meetings, and then this happens. <clears throat> a few weeks after the last charismatic conference, it was somehow decided that I should be able to attend my first concert, a trip with the boys, chaperoned by a band-driving neighbor. All the kids got to go, I said, and it was kids, so my sister was pissed. Why does he get to go? I don't even think she'd seen Foreigner yet. So <laughs> mad. She calls me hateful in French. He gets to go. She was pointing at me. Yup, because he's going out with the guys, my mother said. She made these little ditch attempts, occasional one-offs to see if I wanted to hang out with the guys. Hunting trips, fishing, godforsaken ice races with stupid boy scouts. I forget what they called it, something with Alpine in it, Alpine Derby or something. Either way, it was freezing with stupid Boy Scouts competing and obstacles and other things I hated. <laughs> Hunting. 
me with my dad posing in front of the wood stove at 5 a.m., an hour I don't know unless I hadn't slept yet, even then, me looking evil and so pissed for being woken up I could kill a pheasant using my eyeball. <laughs> Piss was not something I needed to be dragged to. I was going. My mother would have to pry her own eye pencil out of my dead hands, and even then, I was already there, busy in my head planning the outfit. Nobody cared if it was a group of Satanists driving me. It was the 70s, in a band, with the boys. I remember the ride, the classic 70s from the movie in your head, bubble windows, curtains. I shoved myself deep into the bowels of the Chevy and bounced on carpet, my sweatshirt getting snagged on the inside of the door. Shit, What, said Marty. What's the matter, Frank, said his dad. Nothing, I'm fine. I ripped my sweatshirt from the door and sat up. They turned around and Marty's dad mumbled something, probably about me, they all laughed. All I saw was my own bouncing. The show was held at the Providence Civic Center where just weeks before I watched Catherine Pullman working her magic spells on the Christians. Kiss was gonna inhabit the same stage where my head got pushed. This time I wasn't dressed like a cult kid in a bright orange shirt with a dub on it. Conversely, I had dressed up for the occasion. With my makeup and talcum powder flaking, I must have looked like a zombie Paul Stanley in zips, but nobody cared. I fluffed my hair. Past the red velvet court curtains, thick as doors, we took our seats. First row balcony, stage left, which was a certain drag for the ace really than I was, but still not too shabby. As soon as we settled in, the boys and the rest of the room disappeared into a swirl of pot smoke, lighters, all those lighters, and the sound of the people screaming, we want kiss, we want kiss, like this mob, they were demanding it, all sweaty and swearing, and openly puking into their fingers. I was enchanted. <laughs> My seat was the last thing I wanted at this tender Bible in the lobby with a distant planet. I clung to the metal bar in front of me, waiting, waiting for the voice. The house lights clacked off and the place went quiet for a second before going ape shit. You wanted the best and you got the best. The hottest thing in the world, kiss! <laughs> the demands were met. Kiss appeared from under the stage, trapdoors popping with fog machines, their costumes' bodies running back and forth in front of the sign. Oh my god, the sign with its giant letters K-I-S-S-K-I-S-S-K-I-S-S-K-I-S-S-K-I-S-S-K-I-S-S-K-I-S-S-K-I-S-S-K-I-S-S-K-I-S-S-K-I-S-S-K-I-S-S-K-I-
my head rocked back on my neck. Good night, he shouted to the rest of the crowd. The house lights came up to 20,000 crazed teenagers in rubbed off makeup. I was frozen by the scene, my new people, my new flock. Slow motion showed an eager girl sliding into a pool of puked up southern comfort and peach schnapps, landing flat on her back while her asshole boyfriend laughed. She was running towards the front, hoping to be one of the groupies picked by the roadies to be taken backstage to do it with kids. She probably would have gotten picked too, she was so metal, but she never, <laughs> made, she never made it past the puddle. Her cheek bumps, snagging an undigested piece of fish, filet of fish that slid her legs out from under her. She jumped up, her perfectly big hair flattened to the back of her head, soaked with cold puke and warm mud riser, drip, drip, drip from the nest of her frizz pouring into the bowl of her cowl neck sweater. Nobody prayed over her. Nobody called on the infant Jesus to heal her. Instead, the entire balcony laughed, hoping another person would fall victim to the puke slip before security made us leave. The parking lot was all blasting kiss. Cute girl was laid out in the back of a tricked out Mustang and there wasn't a cop in sight and no kumbaya. I rode this wave of rock and roll chaos all the way home in the van, now knowing the truth that I was good. I was part of something that I could feel. Driving home, I could still feel the heat of the flames from my spot in the van, and it still said kiss on my eyelids when I blinked. Marty's death kissed my ass for all I cared. I wasn't scared anymore. Every bump in the freeway made me rise up a little more, and I knew I had been saved. Okay. And so this is just a little short piece later on. Um, this is after I was um, I was pretty lucky that I never had to come out of the closet. It was already done for me as evidenced by my weight box and assorted props. Cheerleading pom-poms, juggling bags, eyeshadow sponges, and yarn. Nobody has to tell anybody anything trust. When your nine-year-old downtime fills itself with walking serpentine through the house in a blonde bouffant wig and taken through your dresser for Maybelline eye pencils, you don't need to do the math. <laughs> Marty Payton's toy box lay in sharp contrast to mine. He had not only a wooden he had not a wooden toy box, but a new one in the shape of a giant NFL football, the smell of thick plastic surrounded from a solid foot on each side. It had its own aura. This giant toxic football like an advertisement stuffed with tennis balls and catcher's mitts, handheld sports games that bugged me with their constant squawking for touchdowns or more batteries. Above this sports slush and the electronic game screaming feed me hung every baseball card ever printed, screwed to the wall on display. Above my wig box, the wooden crate that was a tangle of synthetic hair hung no such paraphernalia. Other than my kiss posters, I didn't hang much. There was a personalized letter from Leo Viscoglia, who I'd written to after reading his book, Love. A picture of me with the king at medieval times in Florida. The king just looked like a dude from Orlando, not particularly enraged by his job. I looked far more uncomfortable in my vacation costume, posing with a character actor at a theme restaurant. Next to that was a picture of me posing with Willie Whistle, the local clown of my youth, at a senior citizen's facility outside Boston. I have no idea how I even got there. Driving, a, driving to Boston was always a hassle for my parents, and we rarely did it. We barely even crossed into the Massachusetts border towns that surrounded us in fear of the mass holes, or as we called them, the hillbillies. Rushing home from third grade to make sure I caught my stories, General Hospital was gearing up for the Ice Princess, and big things were happening. I'd see the other kids playing their afternoons, shooting hoops, skateboard, and eventually, thank God, playing Atari. I sat myself in front of the full-length mirror in my mother's room. 
She was ironing, sitting in a mom's room, papa's tunes, I patty cake against the mirror. Having no one to practice with, my stone sister proving no help time after time, I depended upon myself to learn the hand clapping routine. The order in which to clap, pat, cross your hands, or slap your knees was critical business in the schoolyard, at least among the circle of girls I watched obsessively at recess. I wanted in. As my only competition, I got wicked fast real quick before I knew it, I was a blur of arms in front of the mirror. Oh, lady, Mac, Mac, Mac. Marty Pagan was coming up the driveway. I could hear him driving, dry, dragging some piece of metal sports equipment. I knew he was going to bother me, so I picked up the pace of my clapping, patting, crossing, dropping the total hit. Hint. Ignorant, he came to my mom's window. Hey, you want to come play baseball with us? All dressed in black, black, black. Shh, I said. Clearly, the rhyme wasn't over. He was bothering me in the middle with silver buttons, buttons, buttons. Hey, Francis, you want to come play baseball? They must have needed someone really bad. My concentration was broken. I was getting flustered. Can't you see I'm busy? What's wrong with you? I said, to, I said in the mirror, his stupid half head in the window. I started my hand claps again from the top. Oh, lady, Mac, 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 why don't you want to play baseball? Marty was incredulous outside the window, standing on the baton with his stupid sneaker. All dressed in black, 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 I got louder. I wanted to take that bat to his head and really swing. He was bugging me now. And why are you always practicing those girl games, he said. With silver buttons, buttons, buttons. Before I could jump up and run outside, my mother slammed her iron down onto its board, mashing the steam on button, leaving spurts of hot water and tea kettle clouds blasting behind her as she marched to the window. Her little body could really move when she was pissed. She looked like she was going to rip Marty in two. He's good at it. That's why he practices, Marty. Because he's good at it. Now move your feet out of here. Do what you're good at. Go play your baseball, you little shit. Fall <laughs> down her back, back, back. Marty looked at my mom and ran away to school. He's a little shit, she said. You're good at it. Keep going, hon. My mother was free and happy outside of the cult, ready to pick her battles and say shit outside the house. <laughs> she started singing again, my hands regaining their speed, challenging their own reflection. My mom was right. I was good at it, and I would patty cake satisfied until I could move on to public transportation and bigger towns. Thank Um, my process. 
with the cut-up. Um, uh, I find that it works really well for the type of writing that I do. When I um, went to finish this book in Mexico, I had 25 short stories on my desktop of my computer. And I took a walk with Michelle T in the afternoon session. I was like, oh, well, I have all of these folders. She goes, that would drive me bonkers. Like, take the afternoon session and put it into one document. And that solved everything for me to see it. Like, all these threads came together that I didn't realize that were there. Um, and so just cutting it up and putting it together, all these threads manifest. Um, and I feel like that putting it together and not being too hard on the editing end at the beginning was important. And also, it really takes a village for me personally. Like, it takes a lot of people for me to finish a book. Yeah, it takes a lot. Um, well, you could probably hear from my work, and I love that Anna Joy um, paired us because you were talking about the charismatic cult. And I grew up Pentecostal, which in my opinion, it's kind of like a charismatic cult. Um, so speaking in tongues and all of that. And that is, so I write towards sound. And that's really how I write. So I hear a cadence or I hear, you know, um, um, a sound that I'm driving toward. And I just try to find words for it. Um, so, um, so I'm writing more for sound than for sense. And then when I go back and edit, I might try to craft uh, a different kind of art. But I'm writing for sound. me it was um, the again the village that I surround myself with in a way um, influences me heavily and I have worked I'm doing an anthology I'm part of an anthology that Clint Catalyst is putting out it's my first published thing that's third person mm. and I'm very nervous about it It was really really difficult for me to write um, I think that my voice comes across a lot better first person and so anytime I stray from that, what I'll often do is I'll write everything in first person. And this was actually a tip that Anna Joy Springer gave me years ago in a writing group. Um, take everything and flip it to third person and see what you're willing to scrap or add and then flip it back. And it's amazing when you take it out of first person and it's not you technically anymore or the, you're that narrative voice. So I started to really throw in a lot more that I wouldn't have put in otherwise. And then when I flip it back, those things kind of work themselves in. So I think that first person is my go-to, or what is my strong suit, but I also try and flip it around as much as I can in exercise to see what works. So whatever works, I guess, it goes with sound too. You know? Yeah, and I just, um I mean, in terms of subject matter, I'm, I'm trans and um, have um, experienced you know, a fair amount of violence because of that in my own life and, and also self-inflicted violence because of that um, as I work through you know, internalized transphobia and things like that. Um, and um, so, so subject matter is this lived experience. Um, and poetry is, is kind of also lived experience. I mean, um, essentially, uh, 
as a young queer kid growing up in the Pentecostal home in the South, um, I, I was like, I need to say these things, but I can't say them. Um, and so I, I don't even know how some, somehow I got the idea that, but I could write a poem about it, and then it's part of me, but not me, and there's a, a safe way to sort of have the page hold uh, a thing that I can't hold by myself. Thank you so much, you guys. This was really, really special for me. Um, hope it was for others of you, but it was for me. So it's okay. um, I, you know, I, I didn't expect this, but, um, but I'm really curious about the relationship between your work and spirituality. And you're talking about it already, but it's in both of your work, and and it's a Christian spirituality, um, and uh, it's like sort of a verboten topic in. You know, unless you're criticizing it, but but there's also like there's a spiritual power in your work that seems like it comes out of that tradition and isn't just critiquing it. Can you talk about that? I feel like for me, like the the part that I didn't read because it gets long, um, but the part that I didn't read about the conferences was that the people at these conferences weren't faking it; like they were feeling something, and that I all as a child I was like what's wrong with me? Like, why am I not being healed? Why am I not being saved? Like, why? Like, they were absolutely not faking it. And so, and also growing up very in the Roman Catholic Stoic Church, I still love to go into an old church. Um, there's something about ritual, and there's something about um, almost the stoicism of it that soothes me in this way, and that I also find that I can tap into without having any parameters of what the religion is or what the God is or whatever source name is. Um, it's just kind of, for me, it's like this building that reminds me of this almost safety of, and it's only these old, old Roman Catholic church. Like my parents now live in the South and they went to this big mega church and I, I left after 10 minutes. I was like, this doesn't feel like church to me. And so I think it's just whatever you felt, whatever makes those little fingers on your head mm. is your is what you believe in, and no matter how you tap into it, it's something. Um, even as an uh, agnostic or an atheist, I think there is still something that you feel. So it might not be external, but if there is a feeling that I think that we don't drop, we kind of grow into, and it changes. Mm -hmm. I love, too, that you talked about it as a, a felt sense. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think for me, that that was very, I was I was one of those kids, like, mm -hmm. throwing my hands in the air, I spoke in tongues, like, I felt those things, mm -hmm. I believed those things, and, and to the point to where I really thought, I will go to hell immediately. <laughs> like, the ground is going to open up kind of style, you know? And, like, when I come out, and when I did come out, and that didn't happen, I was pissed. I mean, literally, just kind of like, wait, I've been believing this thing, like, banking on it, you know? And and it, for me, it caused this utter collapse of faith. And I turned to, to brain and to, you know, to the academy, to everything except feeling to be truth. And, and I feel like really only since my transition, as I've been moving into feeling in my body again, mm -hmm. that I'm trying to reestablish a relationship with God 
who's not the god of my childhood, but is certainly related. Um, I mean, there is a, a charismatic like thing that um, I wish I had that faith mm-hmm. still. Right? I remember what it feels like to have that solidity and surety. Um, and I'll never have that again, right? It's like, I know too much. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. See, and that's the thing is I feel like it morphs in all of our truths. Every single one of us, all of our truths are true 100% of the time. And so it's never, there's no limits on that spiritual part of it. So it gets really hard with semantics trying to define um, what, you know, it's such a big thing. Like what is spirituality and what, you know. It just kind of finds a way to weave its way into my work, which means that it weaves its way through my life, too, you know. Um, and so it is something that I try and honor in myself and um, and try and recognize when I recognize my folly, like when I'm screaming in traffic, like, what you, like silly things that seem small, but they're huge, it's like cortisol. Like, <laughs> and so, like, really checking back into source or whatever you want to call it and just being like, it's not all of that, like it's traffic. So things like that, I think that whatever third mind or whatever you want to call it is what I kind of find brings me down. Um, and tropical vacations. <laughs> you have to do that. <laughs> I, I, I guess I would just throw out one more thing that I for me, the moments that I experience God now are in like moments of surprise and synchronicity. And so one of the things like, you know, I asked several folks who I really appreciate reading and they were given like a loose sort of like, read this about here. And some of the things went the way that I thought they would and so many of the readings didn't. And to me, it was like, but we're all participating. It's like that idea of the community that you were talking about, like the village. Um, and it's like this work would not exist without all of those people mm-hmm. in that. And that to me is a, is a sense of God. It's like we just collaborated and made mm-hmm. a thing that we can't, that I can't make by myself or anywhere else. So. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you're writing up, I was just curious, how do you, how do you stay motivated? God, I wish I had the answer. You know, the thing that I find is that for me, I have to not compare myself with other writers or even people within my writing group. Um, uh, My friend Michelle T writes a book every 10 minutes and every day. But she writes so, like when I met Michelle, she had like, her first book was up, here was the next one, here was the next one, and she just writes like that. We've had long discussions about this. Her editing process is different. She's just very prolific, and and a lot of my writer friends are very prolific, and then other people aren't. So I try not to give myself a hard time about it because it takes me a long time to get it on the page in the first place. Um, And so it is craft, and so I think that it is practice, practice, practice. And so even if it's not part of something, just doing it, and that's something that I fall off all the time, is just actually doing it. Um, but I think that it is craft, and by getting into the habit of doing even a certain amount of minutes every morning, or not even a time limit, just doing it, it starts to just happen. These threads start to come to you, and things start to happen. But without doing it, it's <laughs> nothing happens on it. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
I'm a Capricorn. Oh my god. <laughs> I walk up mountains, I'm a ghost. That's what writing is to me. Just a slow walk, really big ass. Yeah. Wow. Capricorns. I need them in my life. I would die without a Capricorn. One more last one. Grass feeder. Real fresh. Okay, final applause. Thank you. Right, Mike. 